folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome back to Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and we welcome in our friend Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. What is up, Eric? Man, uh, you know, just trying to uh, enjoy what we have now that uh, the draft's over and, you know, free agency's over. And, you know, we, we do have a schedule, which is good, and that's what we'll talk about today. Uh, but, you know, right now we're, we're you know, sort of deep, deep diving into all of the uh, the, the, deep, the depths that is the NFL at this point. Yeah, you know, I actually like this time of year for that reason, that when it's amidst the off season or the regular season, you're usually so buried in whatever the day-to-day type of thing is, you know, who you're playing next, and then in the off season, who you're going to draft, who they should sign, and then when the dust settles, we can really pull back and be creative and look at it in a lot of different ways, which is what... I attempted to do in my article on purpleinsider.com, Kirk Cousins versus the schedule. So we're going to go over the second half of the schedule later with Sage Rosenfels. Eric, you are up for the first half of the schedule, QB versus QB. And on opening day of the season, we will have Kirk Cousins against Aaron Rodgers. It's a great debate about whether Aaron Rodgers can still be any portion of the great Aaron Rodgers because over the last five years or so, when you compare his quarterback rating, even his PFF grades, his QBR, whatever you want to look at with Kirk Cousins, there isn't that big of a difference. And he's really struggled when he's come to U.S. Bank Stadium, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. Like he still has this freakish arm that flashes every once in a while. And it really stuck out to me, the pro football focused numbers in the QB annual showing that he still had a lot of big time throws last year, even if it was just another kind of, eh, not, not good, uh, not like great, but good type of season. Yeah. I mean, the, the issue with Rodgers, you know, has to be always, you know, what, what have they done to his supporting cast? Because I think, you know, a season ago, they struggled at times offensively, but Devontae Adams is out. They don't have, you know, they, they brought in Devin Funches this year. Uh, he's at least like sort of an NFL caliber number two wide receiver. Um, but, you know, what this will look, what I think the biggest thing here is whether Rodgers will succeed and, you know, if, you know outplay Cousins here is what what's going to happen with the Vikings, you know, three corners, right? They're, they're, they're going to turn over that position entirely. And while, you know, I don't think Green Bay, you know, amongst the teams we're going to talk about today, 
Green Bay is not the best team to exploit that. They're certainly a team to exploit that. Uh, and maybe at least for one day, we'll see the old Rodgers uh, against the Vikings secondary that probably will resemble the 2013 version of the team more than it has the, you know, the last few years. Well, on that matter, last year, the cornerback play was pretty abysmal outside of Mackenzie Alexander, who was, I would say, an average nickel corner. But Xavier Rhodes is one of the worst in the NFL, and nobody's statistics show that better than pro football focus. I think he was fourth worst in quarterback rating allowed and one of the worst graded corners in the league. So you're bringing in rookies who might struggle and might even be not good in their first year year but it's almost hard to be as bad as Xavier Rhodes was last year so I wonder how different it's going to be plus the fact that they were able to bring back Anthony Harris that makes up for a little bit of the difference in my mind yeah it certainly helps and I think having two good safeties and frankly a middle linebacker in Eric Hendricks that's you know quite good will help um, especially if you know they really are trying to lean into uh, you know, the sort of San Francisco 49ers type of offense in Green Bay. Because if we, you, you know, if you remember that playoff game, uh, you know, in January, the passing game of Jimmy G was not what beat the Vikings, right? The, the crossers and suddenly Eric Hendricks got his hands on a crosser. Uh, you know, the, the Vikings did a pretty good job of defending the pass in that game. It was that they were, you know, a little bit soft against the run. And that still might be the case in 2020. Um, but I, yeah, the, 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 you know, coming in and, and getting rookies to play well. My issue is just that, you know, instead of having sort of one weak link and a couple of average players in, in Alexander and Waynes, there's a significant chance that all three corners are below average, and, and that force multiplier might work in Green Bay's favor in week one. Um, that being said, this is not, you know, growing, you know, you know, watching the Vikings, you know, for the against Green Bay for the past 15 years. I mean, Rodgers is has always Rodgers and far, but always scared the Vikings. I don't think that's a situation that's actually true anymore. I think Vikings fans certainly believe. Uh, that, you know, he's a good quarterback, but not somebody that will terrify you. Well, it was really interesting in the quarterback annual that uh, looking at his accuracy percentage, I, w- I was shocked to see that he ranked 24th last year. Uh, and so he was not the same accuracy, even though he had the big time throws to go along with it. It kind of reminds me like an old power hitter who, you know, is not hitting for average anymore, like still hitting the home runs, but their ability to hit 330 has sort of disappeared. And now they're a 220 average hitter with still getting a, a decent amount of power. And uh, I, I wonder if the system plays into this. Uh, you know, there was the comment by I think it was Greg Cosell talking about how Rodgers really isn't uh, a Kubiak or Shanahan style offense type of quarterback with the bootlegs and rollouts and things like that. That's never been his game. So do we think that he's going to be able to adjust to that from what they started last year and play better? Or if that's just not ever really going to be a fit? It's tricky because I I do think that the, the draft pick of Jordan Love is very much a signal to you know that they're going to move on from Rodgers, and not because he's bad, but just because he, you know, it's a comfortability thing. It's why it's why Shanahan was so uh, enamored with Cousins because you know Vikings fans have seen this over the last two years. Cousins will Cousins will get you exactly what the play gets you, and and he doesn't deviate for better or worse. He doesn't deviate off of that, and I think some coaches find that uh, appealing, um, you know, as a trait because. You know, you can go ahead and, uh, you know, you, you can go ahead and know, you know, a, you know, draw a circle around all the stuff that can happen on a play. And some of these coaches are such control freaks that that's like what they prefer versus where Rodgers, I mean, he, 
the plus side of him is so immense. Um, but the downside is not trivial either. And, you know, a lot of the downside is him just working outside of structure. And if you're a coach who, you know, sort of puts a game plan together, puts an offense together very meticulously and the quarterback goes off script, I think that's sometimes frustrating for these guys. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, eventually they're going to move on from him just from a stylistic standpoint. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's where the draft pick of Jordan Love points to. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this for older quarterbacks and how John Elway early in his career used his athleticism in a similar fashion where it was a lot of off schedule, a lot of rolling around back there and then finding somebody down the field. But then Elway late in his career just becomes a pure executor of the offense and ends up with two Super Bowls, of course, with super stacked teams uh, as well. But he changed himself as a quarterback and Rodgers, I'm not sure that he has that same type of capability and the other guys who have gone into their 40s are the all-time great executors of offense Peyton Manning Tom Brady Drew Brees and I don't know that Rodgers is on that same level because he was so successful with rolling out finding uh, ways to manipulate his blocking to give him a little more time throwing off of platform and now that athleticism just isn't what it used to be so I wonder if you think in this game or in these two games Vikings and uh, Packers if Kirk Cousins is the better quarterback now. I, you know, if you said that three years ago, people's heads would have exploded into a, middle, right. a million pieces. But I don't think that that's a crazy statement anymore. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, the Vikings, I think, are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Uh, if you give the Vikings a, a full home field advantage of three points, the market would seem to imply that the Vikings with Kirk Cousins are a better team than the Green Bay Packers uh, with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers. I I dispute that a little bit. Um, I still would give Rodgers the edge here, especially considering Kirk is dealing with, I think, a supporting cast that is probably as weak as Green Bay is currently. Um, you know, I think Thielen and Adams are both great receivers, but the, the lack of a number two on both sides, uh, I think still throws me on the side of Rodgers, given that I think they have similar things to work with now, unlike last season where, you know, uh, Kirk had both Thielen and Diggs. I, I, I'm more on the side of Rodgers, but I think it's slight. It's more slight than people believe. Well, and the difference might be that Rodgers could play bad and still do some things that are so good that he wins anyway. And with Cousins, he has to play really, really well in order for him to win. Um, and that might be one of the reasons that you know you have an easy schedule last year and you still go ten and six is that he had bad games and they lost. Like you, he couldn't overcome the bad performances that he had by doing some something special by throwing a, a 60 yard hail Mary or something like that, or making some crazy throw uh, to get them a late touchdown. It's always, he has to drive them down the field. He has to execute the play has to work all those things. And then he has to be on that day for you to win where that's not really the case with Rogers. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about Phillip rivers here. The Vikings will face the Indianapolis Colts in week two, other than like the rivers coaster over the last five years has been, been fun to follow. Uh, the, the difference in his PFF grades between the lowest and the highest over the last five years are the same difference between what you'd expect from Brian Hoyer and Drew Brees. He's, he's had seasons that are backup quality. He's had seasons that are elite quality. Uh, what do we think is left there with him going to the Colts? <laughs> I think it's anybody's guess, right? It, you know, the Colts are the favorite in the, in the AFC South. Um, you know, basically even money to win the division. And I dispute that. I, yeah, I think Tennessee, uh, Arthur Smith, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, that offensive line, 
uh, I think are game. And, you know, Frank Reich's a terrific coach and, you know, Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, but, you know, we've seen it go pear-shaped. I mean, in, in the Minnesota game a season ago against the Chargers, I mean, Rivers had that team in the game for about half of the game. And then, you know, normal Philip Rivers stuff happened and this sort of thing imploded a little bit. Um, so the, I think there's a significant question as to whether or not, uh, you know, Rivers is going to be good enough. A, because we have, you know, sort of a, uh, abbreviated season, which I think works against Minnesota too, because they're switching offensive coordinators. Um, you have, you know, uh, you, you have Michael Pittman, who's a wide receiver they drafted with their first pick, who has to acclimate to the system. Jonathan Taylor is a player that I think that they're going to really want to, to push into, uh, you know, a prominent role right away. But again, if they have an abbreviated offseason, those things are harder to do. So I, I think the advantage here goes to Kirk, but I, I, and I think it's slight, though. Yeah, I think it is too. And Rivers has that volatility to him that has made him really entertaining. Um, but you also don't know, like you could show up one day to play the Colts and he just goes absolutely bananas and throws for 400 yards and completes 27 of 30 or something. Like he's still got that in him. It's just the, the thing with Rivers is he loves to take those risks and to launch the ball down the field still from what we saw from him last year. And the ball is just floating at this point. I, I think it could be really hard to be that kind of guy who loves to take risks and throw the ball down the field when you don't have that capability anymore. And based on last year, he was not really adapting his game to be just the, just the short passer. I mean, he was to some extent with you know throwing to Austin Eckler and things like that, but he still had that, uh-oh, he's throwing it 40 yards down the field and it's just floating like a punt. What's going to happen here? Um, and, and I think because of that, the Vikings do have an advantage, or at least the fact that we can predict Cousins a little bit easier than Rivers. Yeah. Now, uh, on Ryan Tannehill, uh, this is a great one to talk about because yeah. this is like a guy who was a utility infielder who was pretty solid at like 230 batting average. Like, let's say he was like Nick Punto or something starting Jeff, at second Jeff base. Jeff Rabelais. Jeff Rabelais, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he becomes – Kirby Puckett for last year. He's the best right. quarterback in the it's, NFL. It's 2006 Nick Punto. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense for someone even changing places to be this good. However, he threw fewer passes than Matt Stafford did last year, and Stafford was out for more than the season injured. Uh, I, I wonder what we think of how we deal with such a small sample size, 286 throws for him to lead yeah. the NFL in quarterback rating. You know, if you had cut off Kirk Cousins' season at 286 throws, he might have had a quarterback rating like this coming out of that section of games against uh, the, the Eagles and the Giants and, and Washington. I mean, this to me is one of the most obvious Small sample size things. The guy's coming back down to earth. My question for you, though, is just where earth is for Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, because there's a ton in there that sort of implies that there's going to be regression. He had, you know, he averaged 13 yards per pass attempt when under when 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 using play action. He took sacks at a rate I think it was top three in terms of pressured. You know, when when he was pressured, he took sacks. You know, so there there are some things that don't show up in sort of the fantasy statistics that are bad in his case, but he limited negatively graded throws better than all but one quarterback a season ago. Um, you know, Arthur Smith is still there, which a lot of times we don't, re when we say, okay, this Matt Ryan 2016 has an amazing season averages, nine and a half yards to pass attempt. Kyle Shanahan goes to San Francisco. 
and there's a new variable. Arthur Smith is still in Tennessee. Um, they did lose Taylor, uh, or Jack Conklin, I believe. Um, yep. but yep. you know, they, they drafted Isaiah Wilson in the first round. They got, uh, Christian Fulton. I mean, their defense wasn't particularly good last year, but all the Titans did was score. Uh, and so it helped them, you know, down the stretch. Uh, Derek Henry had over a thousand yards a season ago after contact, which is, you know, running backs are, it's hard to be a good running back season to season, but one way to be so is to break tackles and to get yards after contact. So there's a lot of, they're like to like about the Titans. Um, and Tannehill, I think last season is like, you know, he had the season that when you look at sort of like what Kirk Cousins could be, uh, that, that's the ceiling, right? And so, um, if he falls back down to earth and Cousins falls back down to earth, I, I still would take somebody who was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, you know, basically a year, the same year as Cousins over Cousins at this point. Uh, well, we're very much on the same page. I wrote this sentence, uh, in my article at purpleinsider.com is, it would be a win for Tennessee if 2020 Tannehill was in the range of what Cousins has been over the last few years. And I think they're still a very good team if that happens. Um, but, I, you know, if you throw out the 2018 season and you sort of go back to where Tannehill was before his injury, it did seem he was making progress toward being a solid NFL starter. And his 2018 season, that's Miami falling apart. That's Adam Gase as his head coach. That's him coming back from a, a severe knee injury that kept him out for an entire season. So you're, you're talking about um, – actually, was it that year? All right, I'll have to check that. But, uh, you know, he, he had that, that injury mixed in, and it's, it's not – it's not an easy situation to be in. And I think if you're Tannehill, you are another one of the many quarterbacks in the NFL who are really affected by what type of situation you got. And if uh, Derrick Henry is running for six yards a carry and putting you in second and four all the time where you can use play action, and then you have A.J. Brown, who is, uh, I, I think, emerging as a really, really good receiver, especially runs at, uh, yards after catch. I mean, you can continue to be good. Yeah, it was uh, it was 2018 that he was coming off of that ACL injury. Yeah, in and 20, 26, so. 2016, he had the Dolphins in the playoffs. Right, uh, you know, right. And, and got hurt, and you know, Hall of Fame backup Matt Moore started the rest <laughs> of the season. But yeah. like, but you know, the um, but he was, you know, Adam Gase has had one successful season as a head coach in the NFL, and Tannehill was a big part of that. Right, right. So I think it's fair to say that Tannehill is probably good. It's more likely that he's good than he's terrible, but how good is still to be determined. Is that fair? Yep. All right. Yeah, and and I think with Cousins, we we view Cousins a little bit more stably than we view Tannehill, mostly because of Tannehill's injuries. But, you know, they're, I, as you pointed out, I think Tannehill was having a, a halfway decent career prior to those injuries and maybe 2019 was sort of a catch-up year for him well that that's one of the things by the way that i like about this article this idea this these podcasts is having this conversation of comparing kirk because kirk you know exactly what he is now you've got a huge sample of very similar type of play from year to year he has his career best season last year his worst season is probably 2017. Uh, 2018 is is okay, but like you know exactly where the floor is. You know exactly where the ceiling is. You know exactly how much supporting cast and system affect him, and so you could just compare that pretty easily to everyone else of like what we know and what we don't know about these other quarterbacks. And now our next quarterback, Deshaun Watson. What we know about Watson is he is one of the guys that you would, without any hesitation, take. 
I mean, all, over almost yeah, anyone in the league outside of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Watson has had to deal with quite a bit in his career, and unlike Tannehill, um, he hasn't wavered a whole lot. I mean, he's in a different class, uh, and there's there's not a whole lot to that. Now, they're going to be tested as a team because, you know, obviously Bill O'Brien saw DeAndre Hopkins and wanted to upgrade by making three versions of well, Will Fuller on his team. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Laramie Tun- you know they, they dumped a lot of money into Laramie Tunzel. Their defense still stinks. Like, I think Minnesota is going to have a chance to win this game, um, but it's not going to be because they have a better quarterback. How good do you think that Deshaun Watson – would be with DeAndre Hopkins and without. Like, I mean, they're bringing in Brandon Cooks. I'm not really enthralled with that idea uh, because he is a pretty one-dimensional wide receiver as opposed to DeAndre Hopkins, who is as good as it gets. But, you know, the supporting cast is not a complete atrocity. It's just not as good as it would have been with a top three wide receiver in the NFL. And Watson has the capability to overcome things because of his ability to go off schedule, his running ability, his uh, he, he does make a lot of big-time throws into traffic and things like that. So how much, like, can we put a number on how much it will affect him? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we, we, have, we had Hopkins last year, uh, you know, at about half to three-quarters of a win. Uh, Brandon Cooks at his best is sort of more around a quarter to a half of a win. So, you know, it, it's interesting because no one player makes that big of a difference unless it's a QB. But, you know, these receivers are such force multipliers. The interesting thing about Hopkins, and, and this is, you know, just from reports I've heard or, you know, people I've talked to, they were a little worried uh, about Hopkins declining average depth of target. Um, uh, they were they were worried about his – like, it was silly things, but I do think that Houston w- wants to be more of a deep passing team mm-hmm. uh, and less of a grinded-out team. Which you look at, you know, their playoff games – um, and it does show. I mean, they, they turned in. I mean, Watson turned from a player that held on to the ball, you know, three seconds per drop back down to like 2.7. And the passing game, in some sense, suffered from it because they, you know, they, they tried to cross the street a million times on the way to the end zone. <laughs> and Watson's sort of more of a big play guy, right? A, yeah. a player who, you know, needs, needs to be able to get chunks every once in a while and use his legs and things like that. And maybe, maybe, you know, Bill O'Brien, the coach, is far better than Bill O'Brien, the GM. Maybe, uh, maybe he's got a plan as to how to use that offense efficiently. I mean, the, the, the splits with them with Will Fuller on and off the field are enormously different. Uh, and, and so I do believe that for that offense to work, they do need deep threats in addition to somebody underneath. Now, the somebody underneath, whether it be Randall Cobb or Kiki Kuti, has to step up and they, and be 70% of what Hopkins was. Um, but there's a chance that they do, and you know he, we end up with seeing a similar, uh, you know, offensive production from that team. Yeah, th- there's a few guys that I would just never bet against, no matter what. And Deshaun Watson, yeah, he's is one. one. I mean, yep, yeah, that's exactly how I look at him. And last year he was still sixth in big time throws, eighth in third down grade. Like everywhere across the board, you see how much he is impacting winning. And that's one of those where you go in and say, well, the Vikings are the better team, top to bottom. You know, they're, they might be better coach. They might have a better front office and everything else. And your defense might play well that day, and you could still lose to Deshaun Watson. That is something you can't say for very many quarterbacks. You can for Russell Wilson. I don't have a ton to say about Russell Wilson. Vikings fans very familiar with Wilson. He's great, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. 
uh, does not turn the ball over, but also has a ton of big time throws. I mean, this is he has put himself in the range of the very elite quarterbacks and is not interesting to me for that reason. But Matt Ryan is interesting to me, Eric, because I, I think you can make an argument that Matt Ryan has been a little underrated during his career because of so many great quarterbacks, your Ben Roethlisberger's, Tom Brady's, Drew Brees, and so forth, that he is that little notch below, but a notch above the other quarterbacks who are kind of entirely dependent on their supporting cast, like a Cousins, Garoppolo, or a Jared Goff. But his circumstances last year were very bad, extremely bad. Like the offensive line was an atrocity for him. Caleb McGarry gave up 13 sacks. Uh, he still yeah. got Julio Jones. Okay, so that's great. But everybody else, I mean, Devontae Freeman, the washed-up version, he's throwing checkdowns to him and getting six yards per pass. I mean, it was not a great situation, but Ryan was still very, very good when he had time to throw. Still one of the best clean pocket passers in the NFL last year. Right, and when you look at when you look at you know they they traded Muhammad Sanu midseason, uh, you know uh, Calvin Ridley still is sort of trying to find his own. Um, you know, as as you said, the offensive line. I mean, we we know that offensive linemen don't, uh, you know, their learning curve is steep. So they draft two in the first round last year, and you know this is a you know a, a good thing for Vikings fans to realize as well with Ezra Cleveland, like that the impact might be seen more this year than it was last year. But then the other thing about the Falcons, which is not trivial at all as well, they play in a tough division with it, you know, with the New Orleans Saints, um, and their defense has had clusters of injuries. I mean, they Keanu Neal has been lost for the season the last few years. Ricardo Allen's had injuries. Desmond Trufant, Brian Poole, uh, and Robert Alford, some combination of them hasn't worked out the past few years. So, you know, they're always playing from behind. And, and, and as we saw, you know, following the Vikings last season, when you play from ahead, it's a lot easier to be a quarterback, right? And Tennessee found that out as well. Uh, and so with Ryan, you know, yeah, he wasn't as good as his 2016 version. He certainly was never fundamentally that good, but he's played well over the past three seasons despite the lack of team success there. Um, it remains to be seen whether, you know, drafting A.J. Terrell will help them. Uh, it remains to be seen whether, you know, uh, they can, you know, they can get it figured out defensively. But I think as far as quarterbacks are concerned, if you're a Vikings fan, you take Matt Ryan any day of the week. Yeah, that's always the conversation here that um, adds an extra layer to it. It's like you're not really playing Matt Ryan versus Kirk Cousins. The defenses are involved here, so it's two different ways of looking at it. It's like who would you take, who's the better quarterback in that game, versus you know who's the better team and, and what does the matchup really look like. And in this one, I still think that the Vikings have a stronger overall team than the Atlanta Falcons, and that's a difference maker here. But – I just wonder how much longer Ryan is going to be good. Like, did they just miss their shot, and that's kind of it for the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, I think I think that's probably that's probably fair, especially when you look at uh, you know the division in which they play. Um, you know, New Orleans probably even money to win that division, but then now you have Tampa Bay, who not only has Tom Brady but has a defense that is to be reckoned with. And you know, you look at Tampa Bay's defense was top 10 in the league in terms of yards per play, expected points, all that kind of stuff last year. Uh, and they got, they got screwed by Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions. So, <laughs> right, yeah. uh, you know, like, so they gave up the 28th most points in the league. Um, when, when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at that division, 
yeah, Carolina's going to be a cupcake, but, you know, Atlanta's got a lot of uh, uh, past the you know terrain to travel just to even get into the like the wild card conversation. So right. it's tough, it, you know. Uh, it's interesting that Dan Quinn has kept his job this entire time. Yeah, no, I know. I thought after last year they would have moved on, but uh, they have a good second half of the season, and we see that sometimes that owners say, okay, well, you know, you got to turn around, so I'll give you another chance. When maybe it was time to to bring in one of those offensive gurus for Matt Ryan and see if you could recapture some of the Kyle Shanahan magic from early in his career. All right, so first half of the season, how many games do the Vikings have the advantage at quarterback in your opinion out of the first eight games of the year? How many are they the better quarterbacks team? Uh, man, I would say when I'm looking at it, I don't know which two, but let's say two. Yeah. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of even. Yep. Yeah. Because I think if the, so if the chips fall with Green Bay, right? Like they, I would say even with the, with those two games. So that's like yep. one. Yep. And and then I think the combination of Colts Titans could be one. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. so somewhere in there is one. I, I still. I they're still they're definitively them. they're definitively worse against Houston, Seattle, Atlanta. And especially Seattle, Houston on the road. Um, and then when you look at when you look at Green Bay, it might be one of those where at Lambeau, I'll give Rodgers the edge. Yeah. At home, I'll give you know Kirk the edge. And then, you know, the 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 tricky thing is what which rivers do you get and which Tannehill do you get? Yeah. I think if you flip you flip both of those coins, one lands heads, one lands tails. And and you might even say the same for for Matt Ryan too. Um, and based on Ryan's age, his PFF grades have gone down the last couple of years. That's why I gave Cousins the advantage, because I think Cousins is still very much who he's been. Uh, and Matt Ryan, the skill set may have faded to some extent and keep fading and not ever bounce back to where he used to be. If we were talking about last five years, Matt Ryan, the cumulative is uh, on another level from Kirk Cousins. But what's he going to be in 2020? I don't know if I want to say that he's going to be better than what I think Kirk is going to be. So, well, this is what makes this schedule for the Vikings so interesting, Eric. And really around the league, when you look at the number of teams who feel secure with their quarterbacks, um, I don't know if it's just me, but I think that it's more than it's ever been of teams who are either excited by the direction that a quarterback is going, a young quarterback, and they're locked into that, or that have veteran quarterbacks who some are in their late 30s and 40s that are stars or, or future Hall of Famers. We're in a, a very interesting transition time in the league at the quarterback position. Yeah, interesting. I think, what was it, two years ago where we ranked quarterbacks, or maybe maybe it was last year where we said, you know, there's only like one or two positions that are even open at this point. Yeah, that's yep. different now. But I also think if you're if you're looking ahead, uh, let, let's say quarterbacks that you'd rather have for the next five years. There's what? There's a tier that includes Mahomes. Mm-hmm. There's a tier that includes Russell Wilson, and then there's a and then there's a tier that includes uh, speculation on a bunch of players. Right. Right. But it, it's nowhere near where it was a couple years ago because some of these quarterbacks like. You know, Roethlisberger's, the Rivers, the Brady's, the Breeze's, the, you know, all those players are, are probably going to retire in the next two, three years. And the league, there's a ton of players that could go either way. I mean, Mayfield 
good season, bad season. Murray, right, yeah. we're not sure. Uh, Darnold had two bad seasons, but he also had to play with Adam Gaze. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yes. Lamar Jackson is the MVP of the league. There's still question marks about, you know, what would happen if, you know, he had to play on a, you know, he, he had to play in a situation where his team wasn't quite as good. Right. Uh, you know, so it, it's interesting. I think that we're, you know, we need some of these young quarterbacks to work out. Uh, you know, for example, the 2015 draft was over whatever. Um, and the 2016 draft looks like about a 50 50 proposition at best. Uh, well, and even Paxton Lynch is bad too. But so, you know, the, the, we need some of these young quarterbacks to work out. And, you know, I'm bullish on Tua and obviously Burrow. I'm not quite so, uh, you know, on, on the other two quarterbacks taken in round one. Well, that definitely sounds like another podcast at some point or a hot routes question would be, you know, which of the young quarterbacks do we think will be great? But that's another podcast. Uh, Eric Eager, you can follow him at PFF underscore Eric. The PFF forecast is absolute must listen uh, podcast. Make sure you go find that PFF forecast. And uh, you will be a regular on this podcast for sure. And I'm looking forward to all the football breakdowns to come, Eric. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, and, and uh, I'm so uh, happy that, uh, you know, you continue to cover the Vikings because you're the best at it, and, uh, and you know, uh, the Vikings fans deserve it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that, and uh, we'll catch you all next time on Purple Insider.